Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. Up front, I'd like to mention you can follow me on Twitter at the Walk Show Pod, Instagram and Facebook at the Walk Show. Uh, and if you like the show, please take a moment and like, rate, subscribe, uh, whatever your app lets you do. It, it helps the show become more discoverable. And I also ask that you just tell a friend if uh, if you enjoy the show, because it, it certainly <laughs> helps to grow the audience by having a, a recommendation from a trusted friend like that. So uh, really appreciate that. I also would like to shout out my other podcast. I'm sure that you get done listening to this and you just think to yourself, I wish I could listen to even more Walker. Well, luckily you can, uh, and that is on the podcast Pick Up Your Sticks. Pick Up Your Sticks is a gaming podcast that I host with uh, my friend Brett Lindley. Um, as opposed to just doing news and reviews and, and, and current events in gaming, Brett and I really try and talk about why gaming matters. So we certainly talk about current events and, and current games and things like that, but we also try and just explore why games matter to us and, and, and the effects that it's had on our lives, um, sometimes just for entertainment, but sometimes in more profound ways. Uh, so if you enjoy the kind of long-form conversations we have here on The Walk Show, then I definitely invite you to check out Pick Up Your Sticks. Uh, I think it'll be right up your alley. Finally, I want to mention Ozark's Food Harvest. Ozark's Food Harvest is a food bank here in southwest Missouri that helps provide f- meals to needy families. Uh, it's an excellent organization that's very, very efficient. I cannot suggest enough that you, uh, if you're in the southwest Missouri area, volunteer or donate at Ozark's Food Harvest if you can because uh, it's a really great cause and, a, again, a really great organization. If you're not in southwest Missouri, then I really recommend that you try and find your local food bank and see how you can help out there. Uh, hunger is a very real problem and something that we can actively try and solve. Um, we just have to get involved to do so. Today's episode is a little uh, a little all over the place. I, <laughs> I open up talking about uh, the new Witcher TV show uh, and some other shows that, that I have liked and not liked in the past, just to kind of give some context. Um, and then finally, I kind of conclude by talking about some, some stories with my dad and myself and, and the baseball card collecting that we used to do when I was a kid, and, and specifically this card shop that I went to. Uh, as always, the music's provided by Misha Zarin, so thank you for that, Misha. And without further ado, let's get on to the show. So I recently watched a show that's come out, I don't know, in the last two months on on Netflix called The Witcher. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar, The Witcher is currently a really popular video game series, actually, which is how I am familiar with it. Um, But it actually uh, is is truly based, the video games and and now subsequently the show, off of a series of books uh, from this Polish author. Um... But yeah, I've never read the books. I have played the Witcher games, although I don't think I've ever beat one of them. So, you know, don't know all of the story from the games. But the the TV show that just came out on Netflix uh, is set well before the events of, of the games, from what I understand. Um, which makes sense because it kind of shows the origin of, of one of the primary characters. And in the games, that character is, is already established. Um, but yeah, so I just kind of wanted to share some of my thoughts on, on The Witcher. I thought that it was actually a really great show. Um, it's only eight episodes, which I'm a fan of. 
Um, and I will say, you know, a, a complaint I have about other shows is they're too long. And really, in fairness, you know, if I, if let's say The Witcher gets 10 seasons and then I try and jump in, well, that's an enormous amount of content. Whereas, you know, consuming it as it comes out obviously helps with that. Um, the Witcher is, you know, a fantasy show where there's monsters and magic and swords and that kind of stuff. So if if that's not your cup of tea, then probably the show's not for you because all of that stuff is heavily present <laughs> in each show. Um, I personally am a pretty big fantasy nerd. Love the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, love fantasy type video games that are that setting, that kind of medieval, you know, magical setting. Um, and yeah, The Witcher, The Witcher provides a, a, a really interesting story in that framework. I think um, the way that and I think this is the primary complaint about the show, you know, at least from what I've read, other people talking about online is kind of just the way that the story is told through the show is kind of confusing. There's basically, uh, there's more than two, but there, there's multiple timelines that are all being shown to you. But as the viewer, it's not really clear that that there are multiple timelines, except when they present you with something very obvious. So um, not, not much of a spoiler because this happens in the first episode, but there's... I won't even say who, but there's a character that dies in the first episode, and then I think it's like the fourth episode. The fourth episode is largely based around that character. So it's clear that the events in the fourth episode must have happened prior to the events in the first episode, right? Because at the end of the first episode, the character's dead. And so, it, but, it, you know, it, again, at no point does it have on the screen like 10 years earlier than the events from the first episode, or I don't know how they would say it, but but something like that. There, there's just no indication. And the characters all look identical. Um, some of them are, you know, magicians or mages, and and then, like, the Witcher himself is like a mutant. That's the name of the main character, is the Witcher, uh, or his what his type or role in society is called. His name's actually Geralt, but... Um, but, yeah, it... They all they all look the same, and you could attribute that to the lore of the Witcher and, and the mages. They don't age because they can control that to some extent, or at least control their appearance, right? So, so okay, fine. But there are other characters that aren't that that aren't special in any way. That like the character who dies in the first episode, and then is again present in the fourth episode. That character has. I mean, the, the fourth episode has to take place like. I, 30 years or something prior to the events of the first episode. I mean, I don't know that I, that it's that long, I guess. I guess, actually, it must be closer to, like, 12 years or something. But either way, it's a long time. And that and, and the character that I keep referencing that, that's dead in the first episode and comes back is not clearly <laughs> 12 years older or younger in, you know, in whatever episode you're looking at. Um... So it's just kind of confusing as to what's going on, and it's not obvious until literally the very end of the the last episode of the season that all the timelines kind of converge and everything gets caught up to itself, and it's like, oh, okay. Now, you know, it's clear. Um, and the reason I, I go into such detail about sharing that is that another friend of mine actually explained to me that it, the timeline part was kind of confusing, and so it, it helped me to be aware of that, 
So I was looking out for it and looking for clues and indications as to where things might fit. Even with that warning, I still didn't fully grasp it all until the end. Um, but yeah, it, it, it it's good, I think, to kind of have that knowledge just going in. That just be aware that the timeline's a little confusing. Um, but but the, other than that, the show's, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty cool. And it's a unique kind of take on the fantasy world. You know, fantasy worlds so often um, revolve around hero type characters and and the witcher is certainly that to some extent but he's not trying to save the world from some you know grand evil like in lord of the rings sauron is you know the the all-seeing eye or whatever is trying to, to to rule and dominate the world but it's not really clear why other than he's just compelled to do so and is is evil there's not really a lot of uh strong backing for such a premise. I mean, it just kind of is what it is. It's kind of like, you know, a very light interpretation or or understanding of, like, the devil or Satan-type character, where it's like he just exists to be evil for the sake of, of that, but without any obvious benefit or gain to himself. Um, Sauron in Lord of the Rings is kind of that. It's just this ever-present evil that exists to destroy all things without really providing a lot of context why, or at least not that I'm aware of. You know, like in the Avengers movies, for example, you know, Thanos is certainly the villain, and, and you know, obviously wiping out half of the population is a pretty <laughs> scary thing and, and a horrible thing, but at, at least he has some goal in mind. Even though it's sick, even though it's demented, even though it no way justifies what he's doing, it at least... I don't know, to me at least, it, it makes it a little more um, relatable that in his mind he's trying to accomplish something, right? And again, the ends don't justify the means. What he's trying to accomplish is is horrible and, and wrong, but at least there's a rationale to it, even if that rationale is crazy, as opposed to just, I like to be mean for the sake of that, which again, I, I just don't fully grasp. Um and so all of that is to say, again, the Witcher doesn't really doesn't really position it that way. The, the, the Witcher is more about a character who is special and is kind of a hero type, but he's just kind of making his way through the world. Um, and that's how the games very much are. Uh, again, at least to the extent that I've played them is there is no Sauron ever that you're trying to stop. And you might be in, you know, the, the Witcher character, the Geralt, you know, he might be involved in political intrigue, but... Again, all of the people in the political intrigue still have their own motivations, so it still, you know, matters a little bit more. I think, um, and again, at least is more believable. Game of Thrones, probably the most popular fantasy TV show ever, um, kind of blends the line between the idea of the the big overarching evil versus, you know, just political intrigue. Because in that, you have the political intrigue of all the kingdoms, but then simultaneous to that, you have the whole White Walker thing and, and Khaleesi with the dragons, and all of that is, is independent, really, of what's going on in Westeros. I mean, obviously, again, it all kind of comes together eventually, but the large majority of that show is really about the political intrigue, which I, you know, having read those books, thought that was really what attracted me to them initially, was I liked 
that even though the Lannisters are are arguably evil and, and malevolent people, at least there's a, a a rationalization to it that you can understand. Even if you disagree with it, even if you don't think it's relatable in the sense that you wouldn't take the same actions they would to, to get what they want, at least it makes sense that they're coming from a place as opposed to just, again, just cruelty for the sake of cruelty with no end result, no outcome. Um, and so I think The Witcher, you know, kind of, again, kind of falls in line a little more with that. Um, there's not nearly as many characters as there are in Game of Thrones, and, and I don't even think politically it's quite that grand. Um, but yeah, just some, some really neat ideas, some interesting monster types. Um, they're kind of familiar from the games, but if, especially if you've never played the games or read the books or anything, it's a pretty interesting dive uh, to, to go into and, and kind of explore that world. Um, and yeah, it just works a lot differently than a lot of other fantasy content that I've consumed. Um, it also has, a, I, I think, a pretty good soundtrack. Uh, the music is a lot of uh, very heavily vocal, vocally emphasized, which I think is really cool. All in all, I'd say that The Witcher, again, definitely worth a watch if, if, if you, you know, can get into supernatural, fantastical kind of stuff at all. Um, again, I think the, the length of it is excellent. It doesn't take too long. I mean, I finished it within, oh, I think, a week. Um, so it's not a huge time investment. And it's something that, I mean, I think I watched the last four episodes all in a row, which I'm hard-pressed to watch a long movie anymore because I'm just, what will hold my attention for that long. And arguably, I mean, modern TV shows are like really, really long movies. Um, and The Witcher is, is, is no different. I mean, it, you know, it, it's just one really long, <laughs> one really long storyline, right? Um, but yeah, highly recommend checking out The Witcher on Netflix. Um, the guy who plays The Witcher is is Henry Cavill. I think that's how you say his name. But he played Superman in all the recent Superman movies and Justice League or whatever movies. Um, and yeah, he does a really good job. I, I haven't really watched all the Superman movies start to finish. I've watched clips of them and stuff and. So I don't really have an impression of that guy from those movies, um, but I thought he was excellent as the Witcher. He was very believable as, as that character, and um, again, compared to the character in the games that I'm used to, did an awesome job of, of kind of delivering on that. Just to kind of provide some context for, you know, what other, what kind of TV shows I like, and I'm sure I've talked about a lot of these <laughs> before already, but... I'll just stick to one, actually. My, my favorite TV show of all time, I would say, is, is The Wire, um, which is a very popular pick, so that's not... <laughs> I'm not a hipster with that or anything. Uh, the Wire is widely considered to be the best TV show uh, that ever existed. And I think that it benefits from something. And I think that Game of Thrones benefited from this. I think The Witcher benefits from this. And I think The Wire benefits from this. And that is that the source material that they're based off of is all already exists. So like in The Wire, this is specifically true because The Wire's five seasons and the show creator wrote all five seasons out before they started recording it, right? Before they filled the show. Game of Thrones is a little different. The first seven seasons or so, or I don't know about seven, first five seasons maybe are, are plotted out by the books. But I, I think that shows benefit from having something written out already because there's just a clear direction for the showrunners to go. Whereas when you don't have that, you get a show like Lost, which is also a very popular show. I get that. 
But <laughs> I actually couldn't get through Lost. I, I think I got to about season four. And then, no pun intended, but I was lost. I, I had no idea where they were trying to go with the show, what sense it made. And I don't think the show actually did make a lot of sense. And the ending kind of, you know, proved that because the ending of Lost <laughs> didn't really explain anything. It just kind of provided more questions. But I think that's because it's either the first two or three seasons of Lost were written by one individual. I mean, I'm sure he had a team, but one individual, you know, is credit for that. And then after that second or third season, it changes writers completely. Well, what then happens is that, you know, they don't know exactly where where that guy was going with it. I mean, I'm sure he provided notes and there was an idea, but it's not pre-planned out. And so then it just kind of has a chance, which I think Lost does, to become more and more convoluted. Um, the Wire does an excellent job of kind of slowly expanding this this world. So, like, you start out in the first season, and it, the whole show is centered around Baltimore, and and really, kind of drugs and corruption in Baltimore. I don't know, you know, what the point of the wire is supposed to be definitively, um, but I, I personally think from watching it that it really just kind of shows how corruption happens. And that corruption can exist in all areas of society, and that it exists for a wide variety of reasons. So, The Wire starts out in season one, and it shows basically this drug, the drug dealers in the projects in Baltimore, and then some police officers that are tasked with, with trying to stop them, right, with dealing with these drug dealers. Then, it goes to... Um, the second season, it kind of zooms out a little bit. And now it involves the shipping yards because that's how the drugs are getting into Baltimore is through the shipping, right? So there's a whole nother set of people involved in the drug dealing business from the shipping yards, which then also draws you know more police or whatever, right? So you get more characters and it kind of grows and expands. And then in the third season, it kind of fully fleshes out that whole environment with the the Baltimore gangs, the police, uh, and then the, the people at the shipping yards. And then in the fourth season, it kind of zooms out another level, and it actually shows you a school and how the school is, is influenced by all of these other events, right? Um, how how the kids that live in these neighborhoods and live in these areas are impacted and how the police interacting with these kids, what they're kind of seeing from it. Um, and then in the fifth season, it actually adds a newspaper. And so now you get to see society from kind of this perspective of the media. And I actually should back up. I, I, I think it's, I don't know if it's just in season three, it might be in one, two, and three, and, and really throughout the whole show, but it also involves politicians and it starts out with just like the mayor right because he cares about the city police and what they're doing but he has higher aspirations so then it goes into like the state senate and the governor and that sort of stuff so you're really getting this picture of all these different walks of life and all of these different you know institutions and, and individuals within them and you get to see that all the different character types and all the different personality types, whether that be the honorable person, the dutiful person, the angry person, the crazy person, the, the violent person, 
all of the shady person who betrays everyone, like all of these character types exist in all of these different places. So it's not just the drug dealers that are bad, right? Because there's crooked cops. But it's not that all the cops are crooked, because there's some honest ones. But then you also get into the politicians. Not every politician is corrupt, but there are some corrupt ones. And there's also a lot of scenarios that you see play out where, you know, at point in time A, a person needs to get something done, so they go to another person and they, they get a favor, right? Hey, I'll do this if you'll help me out with this situation that I really need to resolve. And that happens, and, it, and it's, it's all normal seeming, right? Well, now later down the line, the person who, who helped out the first person in the scenario I just described, now they need the help. And so now they come back to that first person that they helped and go, hey, I hooked you up previously, now you owe me a favor, I need this. Well, unfortunately, that conflicts with something else that the, the original person is now dealing with. And so now, if you just look at it in a vacuum, it it looks like this this person who needed the favor and now is owing a favor is corrupt because they're, they're going to hook up this friend of theirs and kind of put to the side this new cause that they're working for. But it's not just because they're evil and they're not doing it for, for money or, or, or something like that. It, it's that... <laughs> society in the world to some extent is built on a system of people doing favors and doing things for one another um, and and so not that all corruption is the result of that some of it is just plain downright out, you know out and out corruption but it, it it also can be manifested out of people earnestly trying to help each other and trying to to do the right thing and trying to stand by commitments and promises that they had made. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The, the the Wire is, again, is probably my favorite show of all time. And I go through that to explain it just so you have kind of some understanding of where I'm coming from with saying that I like The Witcher. So, you know, if, if you're a fan of The Wire, then I think that you will probably find yourself a fan of The Witcher, even though they're very different shows with totally different characters, totally different settings, everything. Um... But yeah, I thought The Wire was, was, was truly excellent. And again, I think The, the Witcher is, is pretty good as well. Um, but then shows that I'm not a huge fan of would be like like Breaking Bad, which is a very, very popular show. Some people are probably shutting the podcast off right now as I say that. Um, but the reason that I didn't like Breaking Bad is that I found it to be formulaic. Um, I found it to be a, a situation where Walter White is constantly faced with a new... Uh, challenge and uh, that challenge isn't the right word. A new moral conundrum, a new a new line to cross, right? So initially, I think it's just killing someone is, and I don't mean that that's a trivial thing, but in the context of that show, it certainly is. So at first, it's like, well, can he kill someone? And then he does, and then the next time he has to kill someone or do something that's even more extreme, and he hymns and haws about it, and then finally he does it. And then the season ends. And then it goes to the next season. And now everything just continues to escalate. And he is constantly faced with, will he break bad or not, right? Which is, I get the name of the show and, and the premise. And, and maybe why people like it. Because they like relating to, will an otherwise normal-seeming guy cross yet another line that he didn't think he would ever cross? Um, I got it, again, for the first couple of seasons. But after, I think I got through season four, maybe... And then I just had to bail because um, it was just it just felt formulaic. 
The Wire absolutely does not feel formulaic. There's there's way too many things changing. And I would say The Witcher doesn't feel formulaic at all either. Because um, the episodes really jump around. Now it also is only one season in. Uh, so it certainly could turn that way. Uh, but as of right now, I think it's uh, yeah pretty top notch. these stores really exist anymore uh, but when I was a kid my dad had a buddy uh, named John Anno uh, who I think has, has passed away at this point but um, John Anno had worked with my dad at a at the warehouse that my dad worked at and eventually he left and started a card shop um, and when I say a card shop I mean like a sports memorabilia baseball card you know all sports but uh, and then sold you know autographed pictures and again just sports memorabilia type stuff and these type of stores used to be you know somewhat prevalent um but i don't know you know with the advent of the internet and how popular e-commerce stuff is i don't know how how prevalent those type of shops are anymore um i would assume that they're bundled with (laughs) comic stores and uh, all sorts of those little niche stores that, that used to exist just on their own Probably condensed more into into one now. Um, but yeah, either way, so my dad and I would go to this card shop uh, that, that John Anno owned pretty much every weekend. And it was just, it was super cool for me to have kind of that insider access where I can talk to the shop owner. And this guy just lives and breathes sports, you know. I mean, that's his whole business. And so I could, you know, he would, could just share interesting anecdotes and, and we could talk. Uh, really about any, any sport thing you wanted to. And he was just a really, you know, down-to-earth nice guy. And he also was generous with my dad. And so he would... You can buy packs of baseball cards, but you can also buy an entire box that's full of those packs. Um, and so he would actually sell boxes of packs of cards to my dad at a, at a discount. Um, and yeah, and then my dad and I would go home and take all un, unpack all the cards and sort them and organize them and it was just i mean for a little kid it was just a dream come true i mean prior to that you know the most packs i would ever get at one time was maybe you know two or three <laughs> again at most uh and here we are coming home with boxes that have 30 packs or 50 packs or you know whatever the case may be and it was just a just a dream come true um yeah it was just a really fun ritual that that my dad and i had together for yeah for for i don't know probably two to three years. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how long, but it was quite a while. Uh, it was only when he finally, <laughs> in, in cards, they have rare cards, right, that, that are, are somewhat unique and there's only a certain amount printed. And so it, it drives the value of them because they're, they're collector's items as opposed to the regular set cards that there are, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions or however many they made of them. So... 
we get an insert is what they call these unique cards. We get an insert one time and it's like a, you know, one in, I don't know, 50,000 chance or something to get this insert. So it's a pretty, pretty low chance that you'll find one of these cards, except that the player that we got on this insert that we found was Charles Barkley. And while Charles Barkley is a hall of famer and, you know, certainly a popular player, his card, <laughs> that card was not demanding a lot, right? People weren't super eager to collect that Charles Barkley card. Whereas if it had been like a Michael Jordan card or something, it's worth, at least according to the pricing guides, significantly more. Um, but yeah, my dad was really mad <laughs> that we that we got so lucky as to get such an insert while simultaneously being so unlucky that we got a player where the insert is almost worthless. Um and he he that kind of really soured him on the experience, and that was kind of when we stopped uh, stopped going and buying cards like that. But we would still go to John Anno's shop and still go visit him, and and yeah, John Anno is actually the person who put me on to my first kind of basketball idol, which uh, was not Michael Jordan; it was Allen Iverson. I remember we went to Anno's shop, and and he was and he was asking us if we had heard of, of Allen Iverson yet, and and he because he was a rookie, and I hadn't. And he explained that it's, you know, the that Allen Iverson was insanely fast and had this killer crossover, and and he was this really exciting player to watch. And so I started watching him and just immediately fell in love with the guy. I mean, Allen Iverson is, is to this day, one of my favorite, you know, basketball players. And, um, and yeah, it was, it's just interesting because, like, just that one moment at, at, at John Anno's card shop – spawned literally a lifetime of fandom for me for Allen Iverson. I don't know if I would have found Allen Iverson if if I wouldn't have had that conversation. I mean, eventually I would have because eventually he became this big NBA superstar. But at that time, he was a rookie. I didn't have regular access to SportsCenter. The internet was not, you know, the modern internet. So it wasn't like I could just pop over to NBA.com and start watching all the highlights and see this this rookie sensation. Um but I mean, eventually, my dad got me a an autographed picture of Allen Iverson that I still have hanging in my house today. He got me this one of his buddies at work made wooden statues of athletes that he like whittled out. He got me a whittled out wooden statue of Allen Iverson that I've still got. Um, and then I also, because like I said, we were buying all these cards, started collecting uh, Allen Iverson rookie cards, and still to this day have a book, a, a you know, book of the card sleeves. That I would say has close to 30 Allen Iverson rookie cards. Now I have no idea if there's any real value in those, um, but I don't really care because I'm not looking to sell them, right? Like if there's value to me in it. Um, I remember my sister, and you know, she got me Allen Iverson jersey to wear, and I just I wore wore that thing until it was worn out. Um, but just was a really big Iverson fan, and it it's interesting, I guess, just because. That fandom was kind of born out of, like, me being a kid. And um, while Allen Iverson is certainly deserving of fandom and has, you know, infinite fans, there was also a bit that, you know, I did, it's not like I was looking at all 300 players in the NBA and then choosing him. You know, I only knew about so many. But it kind of felt like something special that me and my dad and his friend all could enjoy or, or be aware of together. Um, and that, that kind of made it more fun. So whenever he'd get a new rookie card in, maybe he'd save it for me. Or, 
again, like the autograph picture, you know, um, all of that stuff was just was just really cool. And then later in life, I became a huge Kobe Bryant fan. But that was a little different because that wasn't spawned through my dad and I, you know, going to this card shop and this this social interaction. Um, it was more spawned just of my my former roommate and I watching basketball and just kind of seeing Kobe in a different light and then watching some interviews with Kobe and seeing how he interacted with the media and just with other players and other people and and really kind of falling in love with his character. I mean, his play is certainly amazing. and I love, I mean, I still will just sit and watch Kobe highlights once in a while. Um, but it was a more, it was more of almost, at least to start with, almost more of an intellectual attraction to the Kobe character and, and, you know, his play that eventually turned into a more emotional connection where I just love that character and, and, and love to watch him play. Whereas with Iverson, there wasn't really a lot of intellectual consideration. I just kind of dove into it. Um, anyway, all of this just to say that I, I, I just wanted to share, I guess, cause I really, uh, enjoy that fond memory of, of going to that card shop and talking with John Anno and, you know, I have no idea if his family would ever, would ever hear this podcast. But if they did, uh, you know, that guy left a really strong and positive impression on my life and gave me a lot of, of really good memories to have and was also the impetus for a lot of good memories that I had with just, you know, with my dad. Um, and, and I think probably made me overall a larger basketball fan than I would have been otherwise because I was so immersed in collecting the cards and then getting immersed with Allen Iverson and trying to follow his career. And um, while he was popular, you know, again, he wasn't Michael Jordan. He wasn't Magic Johnson. He didn't have that level of popularity. So it was kind of fun to be an Allen Iverson fan because not everyone was. Um, Iverson is kind of credited with kind of really bringing the hip-hop culture to the NBA. Uh, and I've always been a huge fan of rap and hip-hop, so kind of getting to be a fan of his as that all unfolded was was cool as well um but yeah like i said just a cool memory with 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 that sports card shop and and kind of interesting how my fandom grew out of that uh and yeah just really appreciate those memories with my dad going to do it for today's episode thank you again for listening and thank you misha zarens for providing the music for the show uh, and again if you guys are you know have any thoughts or, or anything like that to share uh, even if you know me personally instead of texting me <laughs> or emailing me uh, privately i ask you to go on twitter and again you know uh, tweet me there or go on instagram or facebook and, and message me there 
uh, just so so other people can kind of see the conversation as well, and, and maybe we can get some other folks engaged. Uh, as always, appreciate the listen. Have a good week.